Okay. I'm going to ask you to do something. The only time I've ever asked a congregation to do this was this morning at 845. Never asked a congregation to do this for you. Nervous? You ready? Doesn't involve money, so you can relax. Turn to your table of contents if you have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Table of contents. Here's why I'm telling you to do this, because I'm preaching out of the book of Habakkuk this morning. And I'm wise enough to know that if it took me an hour to find it on Monday morning, it'll probably take you... Uh, at least uh, 15 minutes. Habakkuk, if you have no idea where it is, find in the Old Testament on your table of contents, find Malachi, and then go back about three or four books, Habakkuk. And as you are finding it, it's it's even hard to find the table of contents, isn't it? You can turn to it. And I want to share with you a story that goes with a sermon this morning. Back, uh, I guess it was seven or eight years ago, one Wednesday morning, I was getting ready to come to church to, to work, and I got a phone call from a, uh, from a friend uh, that, that I've been friends with for many years, and we have a mutual friend we've been praying for that we love dearly, that we weren't sure if this person was a Christian or not, and the person was ill, the person was sick, and, uh, and he called me that morning and he told me that they had died. And this was a person close to my age, and, and that was seven years ago, so I was 22. Uh, and, but it was a young person, seriously. And, and, and we knew they were going to die because their disease was degenerative. But we thought it was six months or a year, and, and it was, so that was a shock. But here was what was even worse, is this person had never professed to follow Jesus Christ. And we were so concerned that they were they were going to die without Jesus, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we had witnessed, and we prayed, and I was just certain that this person was going to make a clear profession of faith, and they, they very well may have given their life to Christ. I mean, they had a lot of alone time to have done that, but, but we didn't get that stand up, I'm following Jesus, and, and I can remember when I got off the phone that morning, I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken because this person had died, I was heartbroken because they had never loudly proclaimed they were following Jesus. And to be honest with you, I felt like God had let me down. I felt disappointed that God had not answered my prayer. And, and my first thought for you this morning, or truly a question, have you ever been disappointed or, or mad at God? Now, before you think that's disrespectful or blasphemous, just stay with us this morning uh, because I want to tell you, and, and we got a lot of young people here, and that's so awesome. But young people sometimes have more spiritual maturity than people who are 90, uh, who've been in church their whole life. So it's not much about your chronological age. But here's the truth. If you live very long, and if you follow Jesus very long, if you're a Christian who follows Jesus very long, it's someday you're going to be disappointed with God. At some point, you're going to feel like God has let you down or God has failed you. Our hero in the story today is this guy with a weird name, Habakkuk. And we're going we're gonna to look at several verses, but our primary one is in chapter 3, although we're going to be in, 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 we'll read this one now. Verse 17, he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the, food, the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stall. Now, folks, you just, you're reading that for the first time, but you have got to sense total devastation here. 
a total meltdown. It's an agricultural society. They don't have refrigeration. Like, they don't have the ability to save produce and things for years like we do. And what he's saying here is our country, all the crops of the field are going to be completely devastated. Everything we use for commerce, everything we eat, all the, the sheep are going to be gone. All the cows are going to be gone. It's going to be a total wipeout, a total devastation of everything that we have. Now, folks, that's serious business, isn't it? Who was this guy with the weird name? Well, he was a contemporary prophet with a guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah is better known because his book is like 50 times bigger than Habakkuk. So you've heard of uh, Jeremiah. He lived a... This is probably 600 to 610 years before Jesus, to give you a a little time frame. Now, let's go to chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. And what, what happens in this book, Habakkuk talks, and then God talks, and then Habakkuk talks, and then God talks. Here's Habakkuk. Listen to what he says. How long, God? How long must I cry to you for help, but you don't listen? Or or I cry out to you, violence, violence is happening, but you don't save us. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict. It abounds. In verse 4, the law of God is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Now, Habakkuk is a prophet in, in the southern kingdom of Judah, Jewish prophet. And, and the, the people are wicked. They're bad. They're disobeying God. And so he cries out to God. He says, God, are you not going to do anything about these sorry people, my people, your people, and how they're living? And God says in verse 5, God says, Look at the nations and watch, and you're going to be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. Man, that's what you want to hear, isn't it? Amen. Habakkuk's going, come on, God. Preach it, God. You're going to bring it on these people. But here's what God goes on to tell him. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going, I'm going to bring devastation on the Jewish people from the Babylonian people, these people who are enemies of yours, people who you hate, people who hate me. I'm going to use them to punish you. And obviously, in verse 12 and 13, Habakkuk says, Oh, Lord, I bet that's the way he said it too. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Oh, Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Oh, rock, you have adorned, ordained them to punish. God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? Again, he says, God, are you going to do anything about my evil people? And God says, yes, I am. And Habakkuk's excited. And then God says, I'm going to bring the Babylonians on your people And I'm going to have them crush and destroy you. And that's what's going to take to break you and turn you back to me. And I want to tell you, that is exactly what Habakkuk did not want to hear from God. Let me give you a couple of things and see if you can relate to these that Habakkuk was dealing with. Habakkuk questioned, why is God not answering my prayers? Why does God look the other way when violence and sin happens? Why, why are God's people good people? Why do they have to face injustice and mistreatment? Why does God tolerate evil and wrong? 
Here might be some of your questions this morning on a little more personal note. Why didn't God answer my prayer? Why can't we have a baby? Why, why can't I get married? Oh, God, why did I marry the one I married? Why did that person I love and I prayed for, why did they die? Why did my favorite pet die? Why do I try to do my business right and other people cheat and are sorry and I'm going under and they're doing better? Why have my friends betrayed me? God, why, why do I try to live for you and everything seems to not go well? God, where are you? God, why are you letting this happen? Many of you have experienced that before. Some of you are experiencing it today. And certainly if you live much longer, you're going to experience. Let me give you one good thought with this. Be honest with yourself and God about this. For some reason, we think it's noble. We think it's righteous to not express ourselves to God. We talk behind God's back. Isn't it funny? When you think something and when you're dwelling on something, do you not think God knows? Talk to me. Do you think God knows? Sure he does. But we go, no, I'm not mad at God. I'm not disappointed. God. We just quit coming to church. We quit praying. We quit giving. We quit living for the Lord. Sure, we're, we're upset and we're disappointed with God. Habakkuk, listen, Habakkuk was honest with God, wasn't he? In John chapter 11... Martha's brother, Lazarus, died. They had told Jesus, you need to get here quickly. He's dying. And Jesus waited and did not come. And listen to what Martha says. Oh, Jesus, I trust you. Everything's great and wonderful. No, that's not what she said. She said, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Don't take the emotion out of that. Don't take the context out of that. She was heartbroken. Jesus, if you wouldn't have failed me, everything will be okay today. If you haven't felt that, you will. And if you don't think you ever will, call me. I'll be there for you, and I promise you God will be because it's in your future. It's in mine. So I want to do this. I want to share with you some facts that can help us, some facts from the Bible that can help us as we face these questions. Again, as some of you need to hear not necessarily my sermon, but these words today more than anything else. Some of you are going to need to hear them in the very near future. You're going to need to remember them. Why does God let evil happen? Why do bad things happen? Why do the prayers go unanswered? Why did the person not get healed? Why does my marriage not work out? Let me give you some things. Here's the first one. Satan is real and active. Folks, these are things you need to get in your head and you need to work them to your heart. It's hard to do, especially in the, in the struggle of the battle, but get them in your head and get them in your heart. Folks, one of the greatest lies today is that Satan's not real. Satan's real. Who, who was Lucifer? Who was Satan? The Bible says that Satan, Lucifer, was actually an angel of God. Did you know that? He was one of the top angels of God. And listen to how... Great he is at manipulation. Obviously, God made the angels free. And 
He decided to rebel against God. He saw the face of God. He is so good. He is so manipulative. He was able to get one-third of the other angels who saw the face of God to leave God and to follow him. I used to have a a wonderful elderly lady in one of my churches, and she was always real positive, and she said, well, you got to give him that. He's a good devil. And I want to tell you, he is good at what he does. And to, not, to minimize that or to not understand that is, is, is very dangerous. John 8, 44, listen to what it says about him. You, listen to what Jesus says. You belong to your daddy, the devil. I want to tell you, be real careful about saying that to people unless you're Jesus. And you want to carry out your daddy's desires. He was a, listen, this is the devil, a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the originator and the father of lies. Folks, why does evil happen? Why do bad things happen? Why, do, why is there devastation? One thing is, is there's a real devil. There's a real devil who is active in the world today. Why were some of these things happening in Habakkuk? Because there's a real devil. And why do some of the things happen in your life and in my life? Because he's real and he's active. Never forget that. Here's the second thing. God has given us lots of freedom. God has given us lots of freedom as human beings. God's given us freedom to sin. God's given us freedom to do good things. Just a quick little lesson. You can write these down look them up later. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve. The Garden of Eden, that was really like heaven on earth. And they had the ability then in their perfect state to still choose to do right and choose to do wrong and they choose to do wrong. Everything got messed up at that point. And Genesis 4, you go over one chapter later, and immediately, what do you see with Cain and Abel? You see the ability to make good choices and bad choices and how your choices affect you. I had a friend in graduate school who was very, from a line of thinking, very predetermined, predestination. Uh, God's kind of just set everything in motion, and we just are like robots. We just kind of fall in, in line. And he used to always say, God's will will be done. God's will will be done. But he was very, 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 very pro-life. And I'm, I'm very pro-life. He, this was like, though, his main issue. I mean, this is, he, you know, he was an activist. He, he protested. He went to things. And so one day we're, we're talking, and I just asked him, I said, hey, do you think it's God's will that babies are aborted? I thought he was going to have a stroke. I mean, he was real, like, you know, and, and of course, I knew what the answer was, and he said, absolutely not. And I said, amen. I said, why does it happen then? Because God's given us a lot of freedom, and we do bad and wrong things. And if you take that out of the picture, then, then God's the author of evil, and God is not the author of sin and evil. Why were a lot of the rotten things happening in Habakkuk's day? Because people were making horrible choices. You make your choices and your choices make you. Dad, mom, you make your choices. You're making them right now for your kids. You're you're helping determine right now if your kids are going to love Jesus and love the church and love other people or whether they're going to grow up and they're going to bend away. 22 years ago, my dad died. In fact, it was March the 4th. It was this coming Tuesday. My dad died and when my dad died, he was 65, which, you know, I know some of y'all, that sounds like that's old as dirt. Uh, it was really old to me at the time, but 65 is not anymore. I mean, like Clayton's 70, so, you know, it's, that gives you some context there. 
And my dad, my dad was in great health. I mean, my dad, like he hadn't smoked in 50 years and he probably hadn't had a drink of anything besides Diet Coke in 30 years and he was skinny. He had a high stress job, but I mean, he was in good health in every way. He retired, he's fixing to retire and everything's great and he has a heart attack and he dies just like that, boom. And my oldest sister, my oldest sister blamed God. She was mad at God for, for years. Couldn't go to church, you know, couldn't read her Bible, couldn't listen to the songs, couldn't, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, and, uh, and I'm not downplaying that. I mean, that's my dad, that's my sister. But here, here's a little background on that. My dad was stubborn. I mean, I, I'm not at all. And most men aren't, but my dad was, right? And my dad had a stress test like two months earlier. Down, he lived in Marshall, Texas at Scott and White in Temple. I don't know why they went down there. But he has a stress test. He fails the stress test. A stress test is a heart test. If you fail that, you need to like go the next day or right then and get something done. So they tell him, you need to have a heart cath immediately. Well, he's going to come back to Marshall and Shreveport to do it. He says, I will, I will, I will. But then he gets busy because he's stubborn and he's a man and he's got so much work to do. And he's busy, busy, busy. And he puts off the heart cath. He's going to get the heart cath when he gets everything in order, everything in order. Five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks go by, boom, heart attack, and he dies. You know, I think if he would have had a heart cath the day after the stress test, they would have taken him in. He'd had open heart surgery. He might have lived 20 more years. It wasn't God's fault. When I get to heaven, my father probably is listening this morning, and I'll have to answer for blaming it on him, but it wasn't God's fault. God's given us a lot of freedom, and we and other people do dumb things and sinful things. Here's the third thing, folks. Sin has affected, infected, infected everything. In Genesis 3, when mankind fell, this is weird. It's hard theologically to get your hands around. Sin came into our world. Let let me give you just three quick things. Humanity, it infected us. Our free wills, we make a lot of decisions based out of our sin nature. Romans 3.23, it says, For all women have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. (laughs) Y'all are listening. Good, good. Read that with me. For... Oh, that, unfortunately, that does include men, too. Everybody has sinned, and, and we're, we're infected by sin. Here's another weird thing. Nature itself has been infected by sin. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever thought about that? Nature itself has been infected by sin. In Romans chapter 8, there's a, a strange passage. Just follow along with this. It says, the creation, nature itself, waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subject it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Folks, can God... Can God use a tornado or a hurricane to, to bring judgment to get people's attention? Absolutely. But sometimes God gets blamed for things a lot of times that he shouldn't. Now, you'll hear a weatherman say, well, it was an act of God that this hurricane or this tornado. Wouldn't it be neat if a hurricane said it was an act of, the, of, of a fallen nature, of a sinful nature that brought that tornado or that, that hurricane? Folks, there's not going to be tornadoes and hurricanes in heaven. That's a part of the effect that's had here 
on this earth. And, and we're even told in, in the book of Job that Satan sometimes gets in and creates storms. So remember everything, including even nature itself and, and life itself, human life has been infected. Hebrews 9.27 says, man is destined to die. Folks, when Genesis 3, when we sin, sin came into the world, all of us are going to die. Now, here's an interesting tidbit. Every person in the Bible, every person that was healed, every person that Jesus healed, Lazarus, Jesus brought him back to life. Every person that was healed in the Bible, you know what? They died later. Did you know that? Everything has been infected by sin. Let me give you a fourth thing, and this is a real, real important one. We have wrong expectations of God. You've heard some preacher, you've watched somebody on TV, you've listened to a book, and they've told you things like, if you just follow Jesus, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Plus, you need to give a lot of money to their ministry normally. Have you ever noticed that? Folks, the healthiest way you can live is following Jesus, but that doesn't mean you're not going to have disease and problems. The, the best way to use your money is to follow Jesus. No question about it. That doesn't mean you're going to be uh, absolutely wealthy. In, in one of my churches, there was a couple, had a little boy that was, that was very, very ill. And, and, a, and a couple came to their house, and they anointed the boy with oil. They laid hands on him, and they prayed for him. And, when, and I'm all for that. And, and when they left that day, here's what they told the mom and dad. Your son is healed. Your son is healed. Three weeks later, we did the son's funeral. And those terrible people came up to that couple and said, well, your son's healed now. He's in heaven. You know, if there ever should have been a beat down at a funeral, that would have been a good time. I mean, really. And see, when you say things like that, listen, if, you, if you're going to tell people that their loved one or they're going to be healed, you better be right or you better be willing to cut your tongue out after it doesn't happen. In the Old Testament, when you said God said something and it didn't happen, it was the death penalty. That's how serious it is. Don't go around saying God told me, God told me, unless you are willing to stake your life on it that God told you. It's serious business. And we've heard that kind of stuff. Is the best way to run your business God's way? Absolutely. Does that mean it's going to always go great? No. All the disciples, Jesus' disciples that followed him, almost every one of them, they died a horrible death for following Jesus. Don't put expectations on God that he does not put on himself. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Yes, listen to preachers and teachers. Absolutely. Read and study your Bible. And here's the last thing. Clearly, we can't understand God in everything that happens. Well, that, that, that should be an easy one, but it's not. Habakkuk 2.3, listen to what God says. For the revelation, the revealing awaits an appointed time. You're going to know at some point why things happen. It speaks of the end it means probably later on. It won't prove false. Linger and wait for it. Hang in there. It will come is what God says. In Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Folks, here's one thing you got to live with. It doesn't matter if you've got a PhD, an MD, whatever it is, you can never fully understand everything that happens in this world. And none of us can scratch the surface in understanding God, okay? Some of those things are good to get our hands around as we deal with life. So here's two things I want to challenge you. The first is this. Let's let God off the hook. This morning you're here, you're mad at God. You're disappointed with God. Everything's rosy today, and then this time next week everything is terrible. I want to challenge you, don't hang on to blaming God. Fifteen or so years ago, I had a a, a child in my church, a, a little child, who died. And, and it, was, it was really, as you can imagine, really, really, really bad. And mom and dad blamed God. They couldn't go back to church. That's where the funeral was. They quit reading their Bibles. They quit praying. They quit coming to church. They had terrible marital problems. As far as I know, 15 or so years later, they're still not where they need to be. Folks, I want to challenge you. You're not going to understand it. It's okay to be disappointed. But at some point, you've got to say, it's not God's fault. God is not mean. God's not out to get me. And I'm going to let God off the hook. And in verse 17 and 18 of chapter 3, he says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, although the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, everything falls apart. There are no sheep in the pen, cattle in the stalls. In verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God. Here's what he was saying. One thing he was saying. Everything's fixing to collapse around me, but I'm not going to blame God. I'm not going to blame God for the devil and other people's stupidity and sinfulness and just the world we live in. I'm not going to blame God. Here's the last thing I want to challenge you. Hold on to God and never let go. In verse 16 of chapter 3, in just this short period, listen to how he changes. I heard what God said and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound and the decay crept into my voice. You're talking about anxiety, tension, depression. My legs trembled, yet I'm going to wait patiently for the day of calamity. He's saying, listen, God has told me i got a prophecy. Everything is going to fall completely apart. We're going to lose everything. And though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vine. The olive crop fails. The fields produce no food. There are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stall. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Lord God is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk said, we're going to lose everything. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. The temple's going to be messed up. Everything's going to go rotten. But here's my choice. I'm not going to blame God because it's not God's fault. I don't understand why God's doing some of the things he's doing. But I'm not going to blame God. And I'm going to hold on to God. The name Habakkuk in Hebrew means embracer. He embraced God. You know what you need to do this morning? You need to embrace God. He said, God's going to be my joy. God's going to make my feet like the feet of a deer. I live out in the country, and and we see deer running a lot. Many of you men shoot at deer, and you miss, and you watch them smile and run away. You know what a deer runs like. They run with power, and they run with 
they run with just strength and how they can dart in and out of those deep woods. And what Habakkuk was saying is, man, God is going to make my life where I can move forward positively and in a wonderful way. Listen, friend, don't give up on God. Don't quit church. You need church more than ever. You don't quit praying. You need to pray more than ever. Don't quit reading your Bible. You need your Bible more than ever. Trust this. God is good. God's fair. God is just. You'll understand it in the by and by. God will make it known. Get to the end of the rope and tie a knot at the end of the rope and hang on to God is what he's challenging you to do. William Barclay was a Bible scholar, great Bible scholar. He had a daughter who was getting married. And her and her fiancé went out in a boat the day before the wedding. Listen to this. A storm came up the day before their wedding, and they drowned. They died. His daughter and her fiancé the day before the wedding. Here's what Barclay said. I'll never know this side of heaven why God did not calm the storm at sea. But what I know is he calmed the storm in me. This morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, in a moment when we stand, I want you from the balcony, from the back, wherever you're seated, to come down here and give your life to Christ. Embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning and you're looking for a church to join, we would love for you to join. One way you can join when we stand, you come, we'll be down here waiting on you. You can join this morning. Christian, listen to me. The invitation is not just the close of the service. It's a time to respond to God. Maybe it'll be just where you're standing, but maybe today you need to come and get on your knees or your face and pray to God and ask for His help. Or come and pray with a minister and make that commitment if today is dark or when the dark times come that you're going to trust God and that you're going to hold on to Him and you're never going to let go. Let's stand. As God leads you, you step out. You come this morning. We'll be down here waiting on you.